Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloane, your crime tender. And today we're going to talk about the Hart family. This is a case somewhat recent, but not like... It's like the later half of the 2010s. Yeah. It is basically like a murder-suicide case... And it's kind of a case that you can use as an argument as to why, you know, adoption's not always the best option. Correct. The name sounds familiar. I don't remember it too well, but I'm sure once I hear some of the details, it'll ring some more bells. So I'm excited to hear it. I'm sure you're all wondering what it's about. So I guess we'll kick you off to the episode. Welcome back to another round of drinks with your bartender, Trish. And today for our weekly moonshines that we're doing, I'm actually going to be covering two because they're from the same distillery and they're also kind of similar to each other. It is from the, it's from the Smith Creek Moonshine Distillery. I went to the one in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It's located in the outlets there. It was just kind of randomly happened upon, but they had some great stuff. They also have, I believe it's two location locations in Branson, Missouri. And then they have one in Nashville at Opry Mills. And like I said, they had a bunch of really interesting flavors. And I think what I liked about them was they had more of the moonshine feel to them. Obviously, we really like like the cream uh, moonshines, but we also do like some of the regulars. And what I loved about the two flavors that I'm going to talk about, the coffee and the salted caramel, like I said, they just have that kind of moonshine feel to them, but they're also very flavorful. They would make a great drink on themselves, like by themselves. If you just want to shoot them, or if you want to mix them in with like your coffee in the morning, or if you have like a dessert, they'd be great with like some ice cream or something like that as like a little topper. But like I said, what I loved about them was they have that coffee, like the coffee one has that coffee taste. And then you also get like a little bit of that moonshine alcohol taste, I guess. (laughs) And then you also, with the salted caramel, you get that kind of, so you get that salted caramel and then you get a little bit of that alcohol taste and they're really good. They had a few really interesting ones and Definitely highly suggest checking them out. I guess with that being said, we will kick you off to the episode. Jennifer Jean Hart was born on June 4, 1979 in Huron, South Dakota, as the oldest daughter of three children. Sarah Margaret Hart, 
I could not find her maiden name. So Sarah Margaret Hart, born April 8, 1979 in either Big Stone City, South Dakota or Ortonville, Minnesota. And if you aren't great with geography either, that sounds far away. But in reality, Big Stone City and Ortonville were neighboring cities slash towns. They were like on the state line across from each other. So both are possible. Yeah. Sarah was also the oldest child, but she had three siblings. So she was the oldest of four. Jennifer was the oldest of three. Jennifer attended Huron, Huron High School while Sarah attended school in Minnesota. But the two met at Northern State University where their relationship began. What's funny about that is both women attended different universities for their first semester before transferring to NSU, where they both majored in elementary education. So it was almost kind of like a, they missed, they could have missed each other, but they just so happened to like align paths to come across each other. Yeah. Sarah graduated in 2002 from NSU, but Jennifer left without graduating that same year. On Facebook, Jennifer stated that the women were initially closeted when they lived in South Dakota and that when they came out, they lost many friends in the area. The couple moved to Alexandria, Minnesota in 2004, and they both began working at her burger store. But more importantly, the women decided that this would be their chance to live out in the, to live out in the open about their relationship. The couple began working at the same department store in their new town. Co-workers and friends described Jen as being the dominant person in the relationship. She was a woman with a big personality who liked to be in control and wasn't afraid to let her voice be heard. <coughs> same. <coughs> Sarah, on the other hand, was seen as sensitive and passive. In 2004, the couple took in 15-year-old foster daughter, they openly complained about their foster daughter to co-workers and really anybody that would listen. And the girl remembers how Jen and Sarah told her of their plans to adopt three more children and how she would be a big sister to them. But then one day, the Hearts dropped off their foster daughter at the, at the therapist's office and they never returned to get her. The girl never heard from Sarah or Jen again. In 2005, Sarah petitioned the local court to have her last name changed to match Jennifer's. And also, like, a little context here. Same-sex marriage was not legal until 2009. So, this was the closest that they could do to get married at this point. Mm -hmm. And considering that they were wanting to adopt children, this probably made the process a lot easier or a little bit easier for them. I... I one, adoption is not an easy process for anybody. And two, adoption is certainly not easy for same-sex couples. So I'm not saying that it made it easier, but I'm sure that it helped their case a little bit for her to do this. In 2006, the couple took in three siblings from foster care in Colorado County, Texas. Marcus, age seven at the time, Hannah, age four, and Abigail, age two. The placement came on March 4th, and they were officially adopted by that September. In 2008, the Hearts took in three more siblings from Houston, Texas. Devante, age 5, Jeremiah, age 4, and Sierra, age 3. Their biological mother, Sherry Davis, lost custody due to substance abuse problems in August 2006. The children were given to their paternal aunt, Priscilla Celestine, under the condition that they have no contact with their birth mother. However, one evening, Priscilla was required to work a shift, and she did not have a babysitter, so she allowed Sherry to babysit the children, which a caseworker observed. 
As a result, the children were removed from Priscilla's care and a court prevented her from obtaining permanent custody. The Davis children were then put into foster care before being adopted by the Hearts. Well, not all of the Davis children were adopted. Dante, the eldest, wasn't adopted because of his, quote, behavioral issues, end quote. The Hart tribe was now complete, appearing as a picture-perfect progressive 21st century family, two white lesbian mothers, and six adopted black children. Throughout the years, Jen worked multiple odd jobs while Sarah moved up to management at the department store. At some point, the couple decided that it was best for the family if Jen became a stay-at-home mom and Sarah kept her management position. While still living in Minnesota in September of 2008, Hannah went to school with bruising on her arm. When asked by a teacher about the marks, the little girl said that her parents whipped her with a belt. No charges were filed, but the Hearts took all six of their children out of school for nearly an, a year before re-enrolling them in the fall of 2009. Red flag. Red flag. Yeah. In 2009, the couple traveled to Connecticut to marry because it was one of the few states that recognized same-sex marriages at the time. November 2010... Teachers noticed signs of abuse on six-year-old Abigail Hart and alerted authorities. The girl told investigators that her mother, Jen, had held her head under cold water and punched her because she believed that Abigail had stolen a penny that they had found on her. She held her under cold water and punched her over a penny. It doesn't matter if the child stole a penny or not. It's a fucking penny. Yeah. And this is why I firmly believe that not everybody should be parents. It's why I firmly believe that I should not be a parent. And I know that I've talked about this before, that I don't want to have kids and all this. And people can tell me, you know, you're going to be a great mother and all that. But the truth of the matter is, is that like, I know my heart and I know my soul. And I don't want to pass on my generational trauma to the next generation until I get that shit figured out. And I don't have the money to get that shit figured out, to get a therapist and all of that. So for me, I just know that it's better for me to not keep passing that negativity on into the world. So on that note, not everybody is fit to be a parent. Yeah. And I just wish that more people were, like, self-aware I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody else, but at least I'm self-aware enough to know, like, yeah, I sh- I could not, I'm not at a place in my life where I could be the best mom that I could be. And so I think just, there are so many people, like, it's been ingrained into us for so long that it's like, your, your life has no purpose unless you're a parent. But it's like, there are people, it's like, we wholeheartedly know, like, I'm a little, I still feel like I'm somewhat too selfish to really, you know, take on another life. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I definitely agree with that, too. And on the note of, like, your life is worthless without a kid, that is total bullshit. Yeah. I I get as much fulfillment from my fur child as I do. Well, I was going to say, like, I feel like I get more fulfillment out of my life not having a kid and that is selfish to say but that's okay because I'm not a parent yeah and I don't want to be but like right now 
I have a hard enough time dedicating time to myself <laughs> without having another human dependent on me 1000%. And I still feel pretty fulfilled with my life. Yeah. Like I still do things that make me happy and I still help people and I still bring a light into this world. And a kid might brighten that light and it might dull that light. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. The What matters is that I don't want to have a kid. <laughs> yeah. I like being an aunt. I like dealing with my, my kiddos. Yeah. And then sh shipping them back to their parents. Giving them back after a certain amount of time. Yeah. All of that to say, not everybody is a good parent. <clears throat> yeah. So, back to Abigail being abused by her mom. Police then interviewed the other Hart children who admitted that they were often spanked, denied food, and grounded. Like, all the time grounded. When Jen and Sarah were interviewed, Sarah took the blame for striking Abigail and was convicted of a misdemeanor domestic assault and sentenced to probation and one year of community service. She was convicted, and I get it that she pled guilty, but the child said that it was Jen. Yeah. Like, she, she said who did it. But yet, the other mother was still the one that was charged. And once again, that's a gray area. I'm not trying to start a debate. It just adds to this specific case. It was at this time that Jen and Sarah decided to pull their kids out of school for good, leaving the six children completely isolated from the outside world and any help that it could provide. In 2013, the Hearts packed up and moved to Westland, Oregon, a suburb of per Portland, where they rented a house and raised goats and chickens in the backyard. Once again, Sarah was the breadmaker of the of the family, the breadwinner of the family, and Jen stayed at home with the six kids. The Hearts began attending many music festivals as a family unit and became well-known members of the na nationwide festival community. These multi-day gatherings focused on togetherness, dance, yoga, and music. My kind of place. The Hart children were often seen dancing and singing at these events, and overall, they seemed like a happy family. Over the years, Jen cultivated a carefully curated social media presence that portrayed her family as a socially conscious and, most importantly, happy and healthy family. They were a tribe that couldn't be broken apart by the uncaring world filled with prejudice. Her social media posts were filled with photos and videos of the family on cross-country adventures and at various festivals and events they attended as a family. Jen was referred to as a, quote, master poster by some. Her long online entries filled with her thoughts and feelings about raising a happy family and the challenges of a modern-day society. But like in Minnesota, once they were in Oregon, some thought, saw through the facade and alerted the authorities. One person who notified the Oregon Department of Human Services in 2013 said, quote, The kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family, but after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless, end quote. That is horrifying yeah. on every level. Others noted how the children looked underfed and small for their ages. Yet another tipster told authorities that the kids acted like trained robots and that they appeared to be scared to death of Jen. A friend of the family who stayed with them in California, who they stayed with in California, told the investigators that Jen ran the family like a boot camp and that, quote, true kindness, love, and respect for the kids was largely absent, end quote. 
After receiving numerous complaints, child welfare authorities paid a visit to the Hearts in August 2013 to interview the kids and their mothers. The responses from the six Hart children were nearly all the same, and they all stressed there was no abuse in the home and that they were grateful for their home. One investigator noted that the children showed little emotion or animation, which to me is a huge red flag. Like, these are children, and they are lifeless, essentially. But once again, I am only a couch detective, and hindsight is always twenty-twenty. Jen argued that many of the issues the family faced were due to outsiders not understanding the Hart family's lifestyle. Officials in Oregon couldn't find any concrete evidence of abuse or neglect, and unfortunately, the case was closed. In a strange turn of events, though, one of the Hart's kids became nationally recognized in December 2014 after a picture of him at a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland went viral. Devante, with tears streaming down his face, embraced a white police officer who was at the protest to keep the peace. The photo was shared countless times as people across the country used it as an example of unity after a racially charged shooting caused riots in Ferguson, Missouri. And this all started a national debate on police violence, a national debate that went on before this and has continued since after. Mm -hmm. So... Overnight, television shows wanted to have Devante as a guest, but Jen refused and argued that she wanted to protect her son's privacy, coming from the social media star that posted all about her children. She wanted to protect her son's privacy. Jen, always conscious of her family's social media presence, decided to take a hiatus from online forums for six months. So, to me, this is like a whole issue where she has been building this social media career, this blog career, on being a progressive family, being two lesbian women, raising six black children. But now, in the time of a national crisis, whenever your son is literally, like, holding a spotlight, you want to step aside and stay silent. You had an opportunity to use your white privilege here. Which is something that you were, like, building up this whole time with your blog. But now you have an actual voice to use it and go into onto national television. Continue, continue using, using the blog and all of that. And instead, she decided to remain silent. So, to me, that speaks a lot about her personality and, like, her character. Because she wanted to use her black children for clout until it became... A nationally, like, recognized thing. And then she was like, okay, I'm going to shut up because I want to respect my son's privacy. No, you just didn't want to use your privilege and your stance. You didn't want to face the backlash. That's what it was. In the spring of 2017, Jen was back on social media. She told her followers, this year slammed us hard. Soon after, the family relocated again, this time to Woodland, Washington. It was a very rural town. Their next-door neighbors, Bruce and Dana DeKalb, noticed that the Hart children rarely left the house and that the blinds were usually drawn shut. August 2017, at 1.30 in the morning, Hannah Hart showed up at the DeKalb's door, frantic and asking for protection. Bruce and Dana noticed that the young girl was missing her two front teeth. She told them that she had jumped from a second-story window in her house and then ran next door. 
She also said she wanted her neighbors to hide her and yelled, Don't make me go back. They're racist and they abuse us. Soon after, Jen showed up at the DeKalb's front door and took her daughter back home. This is another one of those, like, gray area things because hindsight 2020. Yeah. Us looking back, I can say, why did you not hold the daughter there? Why did you not call police to, like, at least look into this? Which we all know that police had looked into it and couldn't find anything before. But I'm sure they do feel like shit knowing what happens. But here was an opportunity that I would like to think that I would step up and be like, hey, she's not going home with you until I know she's going to be safe. But then also, you know, your neighbors out in rural Bumpuck, Washington, what's to keep this lady from going and getting guns and blowing your house up? Or, you know, like, you, there are just so many things that could go here. There are so many different arguments that I could argue and play devil's advocate here. But at the end of the day, we don't know what we would have done in this position until we are in it. So while I can say I would have kept the girl there, I'm not the one in that position. So maybe I would not have. I don't know. The next morning, all eight members of the Hart family went to the DeKalb's house. And Jen explained to them that the kids were quote unquote drug babies, which is why they acted out sometimes. She also said that Hannah's birth mother was bipolar and that her front teeth had been knocked out when she accidentally fell out the window the night before. (laughs) When she accidentally fell, yeah. When Dana asked to speak to Hannah alone, Jen replied, We do everything as a family. Red flag. Red flag. Hannah then handed the DeKalbs a handwritten note apologizing for her actions the previous night and saying she had lied and was just trying to get attention. Dana told her father about the bizarre encounter, and he reported Jen and Sarah to the authorities, but no follow-up action was taken. Shocker. March 2018, Devonte Hart approached Bruce DeKalb while he worked on his truck in front of the house. The 15-year-old boy asked Bruce if he could have something to eat, and nervously asked him not to tell his parents. Bruce obliged, and then, it happened, and then this happened a few more times. Devontae then gave Bruce a wish list of food and asked him to leave the items in a box by a fence where his parents wouldn't notice. After several of these visits from Devontae, the DeKalbs decided to alert authorities again. On March 23, 2018, Dana called Child Protective Services. A CPS worker visited the Hart's home that day, and after no one answered the door, she left her card in the door. The following day, March 24th, the DeKalbs noticed the GMC Yukon that was usually parked next door was gone. Sarah had also texted her co-workers at 3 a.m. and told them she was too sick to come to work that day. No one knew it then, but the Hearts, perhaps fearing that authorities would uncover abuse and neglect, decided to once again leave their home as they had in Minnesota and Oregon. The last sighting of any of the members of the Hart family was at a Safeway grocery store in Fort Bragg, California, on the morning of Sunday, March 25th. A surveillance camera captured Jen paying for $20 worth of groceries. The following day, Monday, March 26th, the Yukon was spotted belly up on the rocks at the bottom of the cliff, only a 25-minute drive from the Safeway store. Inside the SUV were the dead bodies of Jennifer and Sarah Hart, Nearby, Marcus, Jeremiah, and Abigail's bodies were also found dead. 
The scene in the Yukon's computer and airbag controllers were analyzed for information about the crash. Jen Hart was behind the wheel, in control as always. She had pulled off Highway 1 onto a gravel turnout and stopped the vehicle 70 feet from the cliffs. She then accelerated the car to roughly 90 miles per hour and, without touching the brakes, plunged the car off the 100-foot cliff onto the rocks below, killing herself and her entire family. No one in the car was wearing a seatbelt. It was later determined that Jen had alcohol in her system and was above the legal limit. Sarah and at least two of the children had taken antihistamines that caused drowsiness. On April 8th, nearly two weeks after the crash, 12-year-old Sierra's body was recovered and Hannah's remains were positively identified in January 2019. Devante's body was never found, but it is assumed that he died as well as the rest of them. And that is the horrible case of the Hart family. And my answer, one of my many answers as to why adoption is not always the case. Yeah. And for me, like, this is especially heartbreaking because there wasn't a lot of information on the first set of siblings that were adopted, but the second set of siblings clearly had family that cared for them in Texas. And yes, there were issues there. And, you know, in a lot of cases, I would sit here and back the court on the decisions that they made with the aunt and the mom and keeping the kids from them. But in this case, it ended up that they were sent with somebody else that was completely horrible. <laughs> and it just, it breaks my heart that like their aunt tried to get custody of them and she was prevented from doing that. And instead they ended up in a abusive, neglectful home and they ended up murdered because of it. Yeah. So not everybody should be a parent. Adoption is not always the answer, and don't get me wrong, there are adoption cases that go over wonderfully, but there are a lot of adoption stories that are coming out right now, especially of children that were adopted and raised by adopted parents and how they felt like they were treated from differently from the birth siblings and things like that. So, yes, adoption can be a great thing. But it's not always the best thing. Yep. Let us know what you think of this case, and we'll kick you off to the last call. Welcome to another last call with your bartender, Trish. Now, I had a few different things I was thinking of doing, but I stumbled across this one, and I was like, excuse me. Because <laughs> I... Originally wanted to talk about a TikTok that I was sent with um, Bill Tucker Carlson saying that uh, the U.S. government's going to put antidepressants in our water, which free health care, they would never. <laughs> but this article, it's, it's, some, it's somewhat recent. It's from last month. It is... It reads, Kangaroo escapes captivity thanks to the help of another animal. <laughs> A kangaroo hopped free from an enclosure thanks to one smart animal friend who set him loose in Louisiana. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Baxter, a Joey at a Baton Rouge enclosure, escaped with the help of a parrot named Thor, who learned how to open the door. <laughs> so, Thor is one of a number of birds in the owner's nonprofit bird recovery, like, little sanctuary thing. The nonprofit's ultimate goal, according to the website, is to help wild parrot species and improve ways to release them into the wild. So, <laughs> the Joey's uh, stint out in the open surprised um, Brayden and Ethan Nelson as they were driving down the road. Brayden said, there's a kangaroo on the side of the road. And I was like, what are you talking about? Turn around and sure enough, there was a kangaroo, said Ethan. What would you do? <laughs> this is it. I would try to catch it. I mean, me being me. One, I would one, I would pull over and pull out my phone and call 911 and be like, I don't know who you need to get me connected to, but there's a kangaroo loose. And then I'd go try to catch it while I'm on the phone. I'm like, yeah, this come is here, it. boy. Come, come here, boy. <laughs> this is in Australia where we're used to like seeing like kangaroos and that. But <laughs> I'd be like, what the, is that a I've worked kangaroo? in the outback before. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently as a result of the escape, the kangaroo's owners who previously owned a zoo now have to give up Baxter due to a local law. So, the owners told the news station they hope to continue to house Baxter and aim to get a permit for him. Probably should have got a permit before you got him. Probably. But, like, I just thought it was so funny. Because I was like, I mean, I grew up in Ohio where, like, you see deer and all that. Like, the normal, like, stuff you kind of, like, hear about. And then I moved down here and it's like, oh, you gotta be aware of those armadillos. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I took the boys out the other night. And so I got a retriever mix and a terrier mix. And the terrier is the basket case, right? He, I mean, we love him, but he's a basket case. Yes. And he will just go off over anything. So I'm taking them out. He starts alerting and I'm like, what is it? Is it a cat? Is it the wind? Is it a leaf? Like, <laughs> what is it? I look across the street to their potty spot and there is they big ass armadillo <laughs> and i'm just like uh we're not going over there boys right. <laughs> curb around, oh, curb around. <laughs> and he was dead set against going to get that armadillo and i'm like bro even if you got to it you wouldn't know what to do with it it hits at you once and you would i was gonna say they're, freak they're out. not the nicest thing uh-uh no but let me tell you if you accidentally hit one of those things in your car you know it it's gonna fuck it up I did hit one one time, and my car was fine. It was just... Oh, fuck it up. It fucked well, up my fender once. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I literally, I was trying to find something. I was like, eh, maybe I could find, like, a short little fun conspiracy also, or something. There was also, like, a kangaroo that got out similarly like that in, uh, outside of Jackson, Mississippi last summer, I want to say. So There's if you're one gonna in have, Alabama, like a couple years ago. So if you're gonna have illegal pets, 
Make sure you can keep them confined so they stay unknown. <laughs> Otherwise, get the damn permit. Yeah, It's not always easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Sometimes you need the permission. Also, down here in the South, man, some people take that as a new hunting game. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I caught a damn kangaroo last weekend. <laughs> It was bigger than any buck I ever got. Right. Be like, oh, uh, I mean, we have like alligator hunting season here. Yep. And there's always a thing in the paper saying like the previous record and then seeing if anybody beats it or come close. And I'm always like, the weirdest thing, it's always like some woman too that usually gets it. And I'm like, I mean, because women rule the world. Yeah. That's why the United States government is trying to take us down. That's why they're afraid of us. Yeah. <laughs> but on that note, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know. We have all of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. They're all tequila she wrote across the board. If you have any case recommendations, last call suggestions, cocktail recipes, liquors, beers, wines. We like it all. Between the two of us, we pretty much like it all. You can find us at tequilasherote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. You get ad-free episodes. You also get a bonus episode. And then if you pay a little more, you get some more bonus content. And we also do have a little bit of merch involved. It's the easiest way to find us there is patreon.com backslash tequilasherote. You can also find it through our link trees on our social medias. Um, but the last I checked, you still cannot search us on Patreon yet. That's okay. That's okay. We'll get there one day. But until that day comes, thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep.